You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for being here today. You know, um, we've been in this series uh, this month called Four. And uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we've been talking about not the things we're against, because I think as Christians, we're so often known by the things we're against, but being known by the things that we're for. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, we talked about the, that we're for you. As a church, uh, and God, I believe, is for you, that he has a plan for you. And we want to see that plan succeed. We want to see that purpose that God put you on this earth for become a reality. We are passionate that God is for you. And today we're going to be talking about that we as a church, that God is for us. Uh, can you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today? Hopefully it's not the first person that said that this morning, but if not, hey, we got our uh, basis covered there. You know, in life there are a lot of lies that we believe. Sometimes they're lies that make us feel better. Like, you're a great cook. That burnt taste adds flavor to everything you make. Or, or you know what, maybe, maybe this one that you're in great shape. It's amazing that you only have to stop once to catch your breath when you go up the stairs. It's awesome. Sometimes lies make us feel better, don't they? There are other times, though, that lies make us feel worse, make us feel more miserable. Like, I'm always going to be a failure. Nothing's ever going to change. I'm always going to be a failure. Or, or the things that I messed up on, the mistakes I made, will define the rest of my life. That's just the way it's always going to be. And, and these lies we buy into make us feel even worse than we already did. In fact, one of the great tactics of the enemy in our lives is planting lies in our thoughts that we then latch on to and consequently cause us to spiral ourselves into ruin. He, he did this for the first man and woman, woman Adam and Eve. He, he told them, if you will just eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll know everything God knows. God doesn't want you to know that, so don't eat it. That's why he said don't eat it, but you should. He, he planted these lies. And, and still to this day, that's his one tactic, planting lies in our thoughts that we then latch on to. And, and the problem is, we're all guilty of buying into it, myself included, we hear these lies and we believe them. We, we, we latch onto them. We, we dive in and we're like, that's true. I, I'm, I am a failure. Or I am a really great, awesome cook. I'm just going to keep cooking and burning everything. Let's get a better smoke detector. Um, one of the worst and most painful lies the enemy leads us to and feeds us isn't that we are defined by the wrong we've done or that life isn't going to get any better. I believe the worst lie that we are told and often believe in is that we are alone. That we're all by ourselves. We have to figure this out. In a world that has become more connected than ever before, loneliness has become more than just a, an issue. It's an epidemic. It doesn't just affect one group one segment of the population, one part of the world, one age group or socioeconomic group, it affects us all. In fact, we've seen in recent studies that loneliness is one of the greatest issues facing our world today. 
which is ironic because we have more tools and things available to us to connect us than ever before. And it shows us that it's not really about the tools. It's not about the technology. It's about our heart. And, and, and this issue affects every age group. In fact, a recent study by a, a well-known psychology journal reported that uh, moderate to severe loneliness happens often during three key times of life. People in their late 20s, their mid-50s, and their late 80s. And this is when loneliness gets to be at its worst. It's not like it's one age and then you work through that season of life and everything gets better. It's a reoccurring issue. Loneliness is an incredible, incredible mountain to climb. And the lie of loneliness is that you are alone, you will always be alone, and no one cares. And, and we believe that. I'm alone, I will always be alone, and no one cares. You may have not have voiced that to other people, but I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be surprised if the large majority of us have processed that at different times, even in the last week or today. That we're alone, this is the way my life will always be, and absolutely no one even cares. And this lie runs completely contrary to how God has wired us and made us, how he shaped you, how he formed you. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, we were created for relationships. Those relationships might look differently depending on our personality types, but we were created for relationships. Believing the lie that we are alone is accepting the idea that we are less than what God created us to be. God never, never intends for us to be anything less than what he made us to be. And, and this lie has significantly affected the church at large. You know, I've, I've talked to so many that have become disenfranchised by the church or have had bad experiences, so they've disconnected from the church and determined to take their journey of faith all by themselves. I'm gonna make this by myself. I don't need the church. I don't need a group or a community of faith. I'll figure this out on my own. But that's not true. That's never how Jesus intended it to go. It's never meant to be just you and Jesus. In fact, can you turn to your neighbor and say, it's not just you and Jesus. Jesus wasn't just for you. You know, it'd be great if Jesus was just for you, but he's not just for you. Jesus is for us. He's for us. You know, from the beginning, Jesus gathered a small group of men known as his disciples, 12 men that he journeyed through ministry with for three years on this earth. Why did he do that? Because it wasn't just about him. It was about us. Community and relationships are never simply a benefit of church, but it is the vehicle through which God refines us and shapes us into the men and women of God that we were created to be. That happens in community and relationships. We will never grow and develop into what God wants us to be simply on our own. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, we read this statement. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That principle is true on so many fronts that people push and rub and challenge us. Sometimes that can be uncomfortable, but it's healthy. It's how we grow. It's how we get stronger. It's how we become better. In the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, the author of Hebrews uh, speaks about the same idea. In fact, the, the church had already been launched and started at this point, and it shows that even as the church was started, people already started to kind of go their separate ways. 
And, and the author of Hebrews writes this, says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. So clearly there was a tendency already for people to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what I want to share with you guys this morning, just briefly, is this simple idea that... Um, I hope we can grasp, because it, it's such a game changer, that loneliness can destroy your life, but community can change the world. When we latch on to loneliness and we believe the lies of the enemy, it will slowly destroy your life. Because you start to believe this lie that I have to make all of this on my own. I have to overcome all this stuff in front of me on my own. I've, I've got to make it through life and all the difficulties and struggles on my own. That's such a, such a destructive lie. But when we can re- recognize the value of community and relationships, there's nothing we can't do. Just like we sang earlier. There's nothing that our God can't do. When we are in unity, when we are in relationships, there's nothing we can't do. How do I know that? Because in the first century, God took 12 uneducated men who, uh, from the world's perspective, really had very little going for them. Didn't really have much uh, background or education or, or skills necessarily. But when they were in unity, when they were in relationship, they, 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 they turned the world upside down. They started something that 2,000 years now is still going strong and stronger than ever, known as the church. Twelve men started that. There aren't too many movements that could say the same thing. That's remarkable. It wasn't because they were the smartest, brightest, most talented. It's because of community. Community can change the world. And we recognize that we can impact our world. In fact, in what is referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, recorded in John's gospel, Jesus had this very prayer for us. It's in John chapter 17, in, uh, in verse 20. Here's what he said. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. Can you say them alone? Them alone. My prayer is not for them alone. I, and he's speaking of, of his disciples there. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that an interesting prayer by Jesus? He makes this statement over and over again. He repeats it, not by accident, but he makes this statement that we would be one. That we would be one. And, and when you look at today's kind of church culture, uh, the challenge can be, um, does that mean that all the denominations and different segments of the church world should just be done away with and we should just all become one big church? I don't necessarily me- think that's what Jesus meant. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. I believe that God has called us in our diversity to be unified, that, that we are in relationships working toward the same goal. And this is Jesus' prayer. And if Jesus prayed it, it's kind of important, right? It, it, it was our 
It's our ability to work together, to be in relationship, to be a community. That ability is the thing that will ultimately change the world. This is what Jesus said. They will know that you are my disciples. They will know that, that you sent me based on their unity. And he's praying in advance. He's not praying just for the disciples right there. That's why he said, I pray not just for them alone, not just for the disciples that were there in the first century, but he's now praying into the future for us. This is why we as a church so value relationships. Because we recognize we are changed in the context of relationships in our world is changed as we work together, as we work with other churches, as we work collectively as a church to say, we're going to do this together. We're going we're to conquer, advance the kingdom of God collectively, not individually. Just, just look at how the church was formed in the first century. If you've ever read the story of how the church was birthed in the book of Acts, there were 120 believers gathered in an upstairs room, downtown Jerusalem. They're praying and seeking the Holy Spirit as Jesus told them to. In Acts chapter two, verse one, listen to what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were, can you say this word together? All together. They were all together in one place. They were unified it wasn't like one was over here and one was over here doing their own. They were together, collectively. From that moment of unity with 120 people, a movement would be born. Later that day, this faith community of 120 people would explode to over 3,000. Now, when you see that kind of growth, that, that quick kind of growth, uh, you'd expect the idea of relationships, community, unity, all that stuff to kind of go to the wayside for a little bit while you figure out the structure and organization of it. Because, I mean, could you imagine a church or any organization going from 120 people to over 3,000? You'd be scrambling trying to figure out how do we organize this whole thing? How do we make this all work? Just the logistics of it and the practicality of it. And how do we disciple all those people and all that? You'd think all of that would kind of go to the wayside while they figured out the organization of it, the structure of it. Uh, but at the, that, that's not how it worked. At the end of this chapter, they continued to strive to fulfill Jesus' prayer for healthy, purposeful community. Here's what it says in verse 42 of Acts 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to that. So this is after we've grown to 3,000. It says they're all together. This, this is how the chapter began when there was just 120 of them. And it reiterates that. That they were still all together and had everything in common. That doesn't mean they were all unique, like they all dressed alike. Uh, we don't believe that we should all just wear red sweatsuits and, you know, look the same and act the same. We're unique and God made us unique and we should, you know, be true to that. But They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this wasn't some tactic, uh, some convenience or novelty. It was a priority. Even when they exploded in one day, exponentially, they still made sure this was a priority. Why? Because loneliness can destroy your life, but community can change the world. And that's exactly what they would do. They would change the world. There are aspects 
that you see throughout this that are really important for us today. You know, when we talk about healthy community, we talk about being in community, uh, we can get this idea where it's just about being buddy-buddy with everybody. Like, we should just be, you know, happy with everybody and everything just be awesome all the time. But there are aspects to healthy community that you see in the early church that I believe it's important for us to recognize today that should still be present. And there's three things, just briefly, I want to share that we see uh, uh, the qualities of healthy biblical community that's important for us here at Calvary to recognize when we're talking about that God is for us, that we are for us. The first is that love binds us together. Love binds them together. That's a, a sign of a healthy community. Colossians chapter three, verse 12. The apostle Paul writes this to the church, church in Colossae. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are all good qualities, aren't they? It'd be great, you know, to always have those things present. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What is it that binds them together? Love. Genuine sacrificial love is what should unite us. Not obligation, not ritual, not tradition. Because it, it forces us to ask the question, not what does religion demand of us, but what does love demand of us? And that's a whole different type of question. That in our interaction with one another, and how we relate to one another, what we're willing to do for one another, it's not a question of what does religion, like what do I have to do? What are the, what's the bare minimum I have to do and I can skate by? That's what religion asks of us. But rather, what does love demand of us? Like, what did Jesus do that I should do too? In, in love, in compassion for this other person, as a brother or sister in Christ, as a creation of God, what does love demand of me? Because that kind of love, that's what binds us together. That's what keeps us together. That's what strengthens our community. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 13, it's that kind of love that we should be known by. He said that, that as you love one another, as you love each other, others will know that you are my disciples. That we are known as followers of Jesus by that unique sacrificial love that binds us together. Not, in, not like that we tolerate each other, not that we just put up with each other, but that we genuinely actually love each other. It might sound crazy to you, but that's what the Bible talks about. That's what, uh, as our lives are transformed, redeemed, that's the love that should flow out of our lives. The second thing, not just love that binds us together, but honesty moves them forward. A community, a healthy biblical community, honesty moves them forward. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every word of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's Paul writing here? He's right, he wrote the letter, to Col the Colossian letter there and the Ephesian letter. He's saying love should be present. It binds them together, but you have to be able to share this truth in love. And he uses this analogy in Ephesians and, and elsewhere in his, his letters in the New Testament 
of the church being like a body. We are like a body that functions with Christ as the head that gives us the direction. But the body functions where some people might be an elbow and some people might be a foot or uh, all of it working together. Not one of it, one part doing its own thing, but we all work together in unity. And he's saying for that to happen, there has to be truth. That can't happen if we're, if we're oblivious to the truth, to the reality. Love doesn't demand we lie for the sake of unity, but that we can share the truth in love with one another. That, that means that sometimes we can share truth that's painful, but in love. Like sometimes we can say, I'm worried about you. You're going in the wrong direction here. Or, or you messed up there. I, I, I want to help you, but you messed up. That means that sharing the truth isn't about right or wrong, but about progress. It should be constructive and redemptive, not destructive and condemning. But it should still be, still be shared. If we just basically tried to uh, create this uh, alternate, alternative reality around each of us that everything's actually awesome even though when things aren't, or man, all the mistakes you're making are wonderful. Keep doing them. Keep, keep messing up your life and keep making those mistakes. I'm just here to cheer you on as you run off that cliff. And I'll be standing up there like this as you go off the cliff. That's not a good friend. That's like the worst person you could actually have in your life. You need someone that can speak the truth in love. Healthy biblical community doesn't just have love that binds them together, but there is truth. Truth has to be present. Uh, that's why, like, being in groups where you can build those relationships and build the trust. Like, you don't just walk up to a complete stranger and, and, you know, say, I have to tell you the truth. You know, there's no relationship there. You're going to be a jerk if you try that. And the last thing we need is more, you know, Christian jerks. There are enough of them out there, okay? When you build relationship and you earn that trust, you have the ability to speak the truth. And that takes time. That doesn't something you can just, you know, happen overnight. You have to be able to build that trust. So honesty moves them forward. Love binds them together. And the third thing is community leaves its mark. I love this statement, this analogy that, Peter, Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, he's speaking of Jesus as the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, I love this analogy he's using of, of building a house, of these bricks, these stones. We aren't just some social club that gets together, sings some songs, shares an encouraging message, and then we leave and go about our normal lives. Like, that's not why we're here. No, our community should leave a mark on this world. Our community of faith should make a difference in our world. As Peter wrote, we are building something. We're building a home where the broken, rejected, and overlooked of our world can be welcomed. One brick at a time, one relationship at a time. We're building something, and it should leave its mark. Community, biblical, healthy community, isn't inward focused. It's not about me, it's about us. Next week we're going to talk about it. it's about them outside these walls. Biblical community should leave its mark. What Peter is writing about is that we're building, the living stone is building each living stone, each of us, one upon another into something that will last, 
something that will leave an impact. And loneliness can destroy your life, but community can change the world. That's what God's called us to, that kind of healthy community. Maybe you're here today, and you've been battling loneliness. You've, you've often found yourself in a room full of people like this and still feel very, very much alone. You know, this past year, you know, I'm a pastor, so um, I'm around people all the time, constantly. Even when I don't want to be, I'm around people. And <clears throat> it's not something you can avoid. It's just part of it. And I, I don't mind that at all. I, I enjoy that. You know, I can be anywhere, at the grocery store, at a restaurant, or, or at church. And you're always around people. And this past year was a really difficult year for me personally. And you know, there have been a lot of times where that lie of the enemy, that you're all alone. I have a wonderful wife and family. We have wonderful staff here and great friends. Um, but the, the lie of the enemy that ha- I keep hearing is you're all alone. You've got to figure this out on your own. You're never going to make it. That lie can ring so loud and clear. Maybe you've been there. Like that lie seems so true and so real that you hold on to it. Because you don't know what the future looks like, but this sounds real enough and true enough that you have to hold on to it. And you do. And you don't know how you're going to make it on your own. And you've been trying and trying and trying. And you're exhausted, worn out, wiped out, trying to make this all on your own because you've believed that lie. And, And if that's you today... I want to encourage you with this idea. Push past the pain and awkwardness of loneliness and seek out healthy community. Seek it out. It's not something that's just going to find you. You got to seek it out. We have so many different groups that meet throughout the week. Maybe join a group. I'm not saying you're going to find your best friend when you join a group. That's not the intention. But just finding yourself in the right environments is so healthy. Rather than looking for friends in your life, look for others that you can be a friend to. Don't just look for everyone to be your friend. Be a friend for someone. Don't don't settle for loneliness. Determine to seek out community in your life. If you determine to find it, it, you will find it, I promise you. Because it's present. Community doesn't usually happen quickly. It takes time. Seek it out. Be patient as it develops. You were created for relationships. Put yourself in environments where healthy relationships can actually happen. You gotta find yourselves in the right place. If you find yourself all by yourself at home all the time, you're gonna find the loneliness settle in. Get yourself in healthy community, whatever that might look like. For all of us here today, as the worship team comes, we're passionate. We're passionate about us. Calvary isn't an event center. It's not a social club. And I'll just be clear up front with you as a church. We're not here to have fun. We're going to have fun. We're not here just to, you know, impress you or to, to show off or any of that. That's not why we're here. We're here to change the world. We're, we're here to make Norwin and Westmoreland County and Pittsburgh, we're here to change the world. And if we're going to see remarkable things happen throughout this region, if we're going to see God transform what others have said is impossible, if we're going to do that, it's going to happen with us, 
not with me, not with you. It's gonna happen with us. Because loneliness can destroy your life, but community can change the world. And this is, our, this is our calling. This is our passion. Whatever we face, whatever we deal with, nothing will shake us because we're in this together. We walk through this together. We are a family, a church ready to love each other, be honest with each other, and to ultimately change our world together. That's what we are. Look at what happened in the early church as they committed themselves to one another in community. They began to transform Jerusalem, then Judea, which was their province or state, and then they went to the ends of the earth. They made a difference. They changed their world. Imagine with me if we could model this healthy sense of community in a world that's so divided. Think about the impact we could make. I I can't wait to see someday to have two services, multiple services here, packed out because of the healthy community that's contagious. Someday that we can have services throughout Westmoreland County, different places. Not because we're all that, because it's healthy community that's contagious and multiplies itself. Someday that we can impact churches all over the country, not becoming experts, but building community, healthy community. This is our calling as a church. This is why we exist. We exist for us. Not just for you, not just for me, for us. Because loneliness will destroy our lives, but community will change the world. And we are called to change the world. Not individually, collectively. If, if we could work together toward this, recognize the love that we can have for each other and the honesty that we need to have with each other, the willingness to make a mark on this world, there's nothing that could stop us. Nothing. Because when God gets behind a group, not a person, but a group, incredible things happen. You can see it throughout church history. You can see it throughout scripture. When God gets behind a group who is unified, willing to work together to sacrifice, remarkable things happen. And I want to tell you, Westmoreland County has never seen what could take place from this group. This world has never seen what can come out of this group if we're willing to work together. That's God's calling for us. Someday, as you get older, you sit down with your grandkids, you get to share the stories about, I wanna tell you what happened at Calvary when we worked together. We came together with such a healthy sense of community. I wanna tell you the stories, the remarkable things that happened during that season. That's what God has called us to. Not just to have church, go through the motions, not to just to, to, to come together and leave and do our thing, but that we are here to change the world. Would you stand with me today? Before we go, I wanna sing this song. And I believe music and worship has a unique way of speaking into our soul. And we're gonna sing this song. This isn't like a, a song we're just going through the motions of sing. This is a declaration that my hope This is more than just a a word you sing, but this is a declaration that sets your life on a course. Say, God, you are for us. You're not just for me, you're for us. Maybe you run into people from church, at school or at work or in the grocery store. You're for us, we're in this together. We are a family. 
No matter what we face, no matter what's before us, we're gonna fight for us because we're here to change the world. Let's sing this song together today. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.